Well, welcome to episode eight on Kant's uh, ethical theory. Section two of the groundwork is a very long and complicated section. Some of the themes echo and build upon the ideas of the first section, but here he also develops a crucial idea, that of the categorical imperative. But he begins his section with, a, I think, rather honest assessment of many popular views on ethics and morality. Look around, your, your friends and family, your classmates and acquaintances. Very few of these people, I would wager, have sought a purely rational grounding for their opinions and beliefs on ethical matters. Even as Plato noted a couple thousand years ago, most people go through life calling this good and that bad without ever stopping for a moment to consider why. We just do it. A few people do attempt to apply reason on ethical matters. Bentham and Kant both argue that reason, or our rational faculties, as Kant would like to say, have the power to create a universal ethical appeal. Bentham thought this would be done through an appeal to happiness, for example. All rational people would agree that happiness was a universal good for humans. We can use this idea as the basis for a universal ethical system. But Kant thinks that the utilitarian and consequentialist approaches have a serious flaw. Their moral commands are merely hypothetical, meaning they are commands for some end result, such as happiness. We use hypothetical reasoning all the time. Look for the if-then constructions in sentences. Notice uh, as well that we often leave out the word then in these sentences. If you want to be healthy, then watch your consumption of sugar. If you want to be healthy, eat green leafy vegetables. If you want to be happy, then do X or Y. Notice, however, that the command or the imperative clause follows the word then. Eat your vegetables, take your medicine, do your homework, whatever. All of these orders or commands have a goal in mind. Kant calls these goals ends. In other words, you do the action of the command in these cases not because of something inherent in the command itself, rather for some other desired consequence or end result. Of course, such commands are not really binding on us and we do not perceive them to be binding. We understand them to be suggestions, maybe even very strong suggestions, but there is room for us to avoid them, as we quite often do. These are hypothetical commands. Kant wants you to think about a stronger form of a command. This type of command is not designed to meet some desired need, such as health, happiness, wealth, power, knowledge, or whatever. If I say, do not commit murder, or do not torture sentient creatures, I do not say this with any gray area for morality, any wiggle room. These commands are not made for some goal or end. I understand them to be absolute, or as Kant would say, categorical. These commands express an ought, and as we noted earlier, ought implies duty. We have a duty as moral agents to comply with categorical imperatives. 
Kant will also argue that ought implies freedom. We must be free agents to make moral choices. If you are forced to commit an action, then you cannot be held morally responsible for that action. This is a very common motif in some legal cases. This freedom also requires the use of a rational faculty. For example, children and insane people are not held liable for their actions, even in criminal matters here, because they don't have the use of a full rational faculty. I do not want to go down the sidetrack here in a discussion of free will, but note that for Kant, free will is essential for moral agents. He knows that everything in the physical world is bound by the laws of nature, such as cause and effect. But only by ex exercising our reason to guide our will in accordance with a categorical imperative can we break away from the chain of causality and be free. Only rational beings can be moral. These rational beings, people now, in the past or future, or even from a distant galaxy. Reason is the tool we must use to understand an imperative, or to understand our duty. In the first section, Kant suggests that the proposed action be projected in your mind as a universal action. If the universal exercise of this action results in a logical contradiction, you will know that it is irrational and thus wrong. In section 2, Kant presents his categorical imperative to provide a more general guidance. He wants to say, in fact, there is only one categorical imperative, one imperative which encompasses all specific or particular formulations. I, I quote, Act only according to that maxim by which you can at the same time will that it should become a universal law. Think back to his ideas about duty in the first section. He's making the same point, but through different words. The second section closes with four examples, which he thinks exemplify the categorical imperative. For example, in his first case, he asks you to consider a person who has had a series of misfortunes and is not happy with life's prospects. He still has his rational faculties and wonders if suicide would solve his troubles. Kant postulates that a moral, moral maxim for his possible action. For love of myself, I make it my principle to shorten my life, when, by a longer duration, it threatens more evil than satisfaction. But, Kant thinks, the desire to improve one's life means that the universal termination of life implies a contradiction in logic and must be rejected. His second example concerns breaking promises. But of course, if everyone universally intended to break promises, the act of making promises would be impossible, thus logically contradictory and therefore wrong. The third and fourth examples, perhaps less compelling, although they will have more force in the context of virtue ethics, which we will look at shortly. Number three considers a person who has a special talent, but having attained some good fortune allows the talent to fade or rust. Kant suggests that we have a duty to cultivate our talents. 
Number four considers a person who has made a lot of money and is very comfortable, but does nothing to help the less fortunate around him. One might think of Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. We all need the love and sympathy of others at various times in our life. So to will a maxim of pure selfishness, universally, would be illogical as well, and therefore wrong. I'm not going to enter into a discussion here about these examples and whether or not they support the idea of the categorical comparative. You can ponder that bit. You might want to think of some other morally challenging situations and project a maxim. Test the maxim against the principle of universality. Take care, though, in the formulation of the maxim. Proper formulation of the maxim is critical. Now, I need to change the topic of discussion briefly of these podcasts to Aristotle. I will then come back to Kant with some final observations on his ethical system. I will also highlight some of the key aspects of his metaphysical work, the critique of pure reason. But until then, to quote Monty Python, and now for something completely different. Bye for now.